Hello and welcome to the latest podcast from World Radio Gardening. And for this edition, we visit the Bressingham Gardens on the Suffolk-Norfolk border. Started many years ago by Adrian Bloom's father, Ken Crowther, for World Radio Gardening, has been to meet up with Adrian and take a tour around this beautiful site. Now, Adrian, 50 years of the gardens here at Bressingham, isn't it? Well, it's actually 50 years of my own personal garden, which is Foggy Bottom, uh, since the first plant went in, so um, that um, must mean that I was at least um, six. I'm at least sixty, aren't I? <laughs> you are indeed. Now, and the other thing is, I mean, let's face it. Your father, of course, developed the early part of the garden, mm-hmm. didn't he? Yes, he did. The um, what's known as Alan Bloom's Dell Garden. Uh, he started that in 1953 uh, with the famous island beds that he created, and he created a six-acre garden. And uh, I came back and. Um, well, I must have had it in my blood as well. Uh, slight competition, and uh, eventually I ended up with a with a garden of six acres as well. Looking round the gardens, I mean, just just talking briefly about the island beds. I mean, he was one of the first people because perennials and herbaceous plants were just planted in rows against hedges and mm. and in borders, weren't they? But well, they in were islands, were they? No, they they really weren't. I think it was partly to do with a lot of formality that went on in the sort of Edwardian style, which carried on through the uh, sort of 30s and 40s and so on. And a lot of the bigger uh, estates and gardens had walled gardens or hedges and so on, and they grew perennials against those. And, uh, of course, the taller plants at the back um, tended to get very elongated and needs, needed staking and that sort of thing. Um, and I think he thought, well, here's a different way of uh, handling perennials. Let's, let's try to uh, create an island that, um, you know, one plant supports the other in the middle and you can walk around and diff- get a different sort of um, uh, plant flowering each, each month, really. And, yes, it works because we can see it here today, mm. can't we? Yeah, yeah. Now, coming down then... You know, your garden, what, what was the first section of garden that you did yourself? Well, the first bit, really, I sort of couldn't wait to get into it in a way. And I, I initially asked my father if, um, when I came back to work and I was aged 22, 23, uh, if I could um, sort of um, have a, plant a few things in his garden, mostly conifers. And he wasn't very keen on conifers. He said, well, you better have your own garden. So in 1963, I began a small area which became a conifer and heather garden. And I was interested to show what these plants could do and create a year-round interest. It was also part of the business that I was developing because I didn't want to just be, say, a second alum bloom and into perennials in the same way. And then eventually in 66, um, had the opportunity when we put up our house, uh, my wife Rosemary and I, we started a garden at Foggy Bottom. And uh, the first plant that went in, uh, you know, that, that year was um, in 1967. And hasn't it grown? I mean, you know, you're talking about a long time ago now, aren't you? And uh, in fact, a lot's matured. I'm sure you've removed a lot of plants that you planted in that time Yes, well. uh, I mean, it's all very well to say, well, you know, don't overplant. But frankly, most people are a bit <laughs> anxious. I had a bit more of an idea to some extent about uh, how big plants would get, but I didn't sort of think ahead 50 years. And I also wanted to collect quite a lot of conifers because I wanted to sort of, I was writing about them and I wanted to see what they did. Well, of course, with perennials, you can cut them back at the end of the year and start again. But with conifers and um, trees and shrubs and so on, well, you, you let them grow and you can prune them and that sort of thing. But in a way, it's been, a, it's been a, an education to be able to have a garden for that long and to create something from an open meadow with no plants in it put in the structure of trees, shrubs and conifers and then 
you know, handle that over a number of years where then you start to thin out and you start to, um, you need to recreate because you're making gaps and you want to put in uh, other plants that will give a good show and do in that particular position. So in some ways I've sort of been through the gamut and the experience of everybody's garden, either from an empty meadow or from somebody who's moving into a house where they've got established trees and shrubs. And then you've got to start cutting back and resorting yeah, it. that's it. So it's a bit ironic that uh, some of the plants that might have cost five or six pounds, and that was a bit of money in those days, uh, ended up uh, costing me probably 500 pounds to cut down when it was 60 foot, 65 feet high. <laughs> <laughs> and you're still moving on and planting new areas as well. Yes, very much so. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's a tremendous um, opportunity to, to be able to continue with a garden and, and uh, a challenge too. And I'm always interested to get new plants, so you have to make room for them. But it's also so they're visually attractive. So it's combinations, it's using perennials and grasses with uh, trees and shrubs and conifers and, uh, and being fairly brutal at times, which you have to be. But um, we get some wonderful uh, comments about the gardens uh, in our visitors' book. Um, and, um, you know, that's one of the things that sort of almost keeps us going because people really do appreciate the gardens. I think they're fantastic. I mean, the range of plants is, is incredible. I mean, a vast range of plants that you wouldn't see in many gardens, public gardens and different gardens around the country. I mean, huge range from, as you say, conifers, trees, mm. right down to herbaceous and everything is here possibly. Um, it's... How many acres have you actually got down as garden pretty well? Uh, in total, there's now 17 acres. And, That's a uh, lot of garden. It's a it? lot of actual garden because it's pretty intensive, isn't it? It's, mm. not, it's not a lot of open parkland or meadowland that, that uh, some people bring within their gardens. It's, uh, there's about 8,000 different species and varieties here, and uh, that, we don't want to frighten people. Uh, that seems like a lot, but I think when you come down at, uh, or around at any time of year, you will pick up some ideas. You'll see some wonderful plants that stand out, but you also pick up ideas of things that will work in your own garden, and that particularly happens in Foggy Bottom, where a lot of people in the, in the book sort of say, oh, great ideas, um, I can do that, and um, that's really partly what I'm trying to do as well. And as you say, there's not meadows, there's lovely grass curving paths giving views and interesting uh, aspects of different sections of the garden. I mean, it's really a huge pleasure to be able to walk around all the different gardens. Well, um, it's great, Ken, that you're actually be able to come up because uh, it's probably a while since you've been and you know how things grow. And uh, when I look back, and I'm hoping to do a book on um, this sort of 50 years of the garden, um, but I'm having to go through thousands of slides uh, as, as a, you know, sort of a research, if you like, but I have actually got photographs right from when the house was built all the way through the development of the garden. So when it does finally come out, it will be, I hope, something that everybody can learn from, and certainly I will relearn what I've uh, learned and perhaps forgotten. But I think that... Um, you know, what we're passionate about as a family here, my father, um, my son Jason, who runs our small nursery, um, and um, and also my, my other son, Matt, and, and my son, Richard, who's a horticultural photographer. Um, we're all passionate about plants. Uh, Jamie, too. Jamie looks after the Dell Garden. He's the son-in-law of my my. A half-brother, is he? Yeah, half-brother, something like that. But anyway, he's been looking after Dell Garden. So it's a family affair, but we have pretty good staff too. I mean, to keep the garden really looking good. 
is, um, and thanks for that comment, but because uh, I know you can spot a weed a long way <laughs> off. <laughs> um, so people, you know, it's it's not a difficult place to find. It's on a main route, isn't mm. it? Yeah, it's on the A1066 uh, from uh, Dis to Thetford. We're about two and a half miles west of Dis. Uh, there's a big sort of... Um, a white uh, garden centre here, um, which has nothing to do with us, but it is it is a, a pointer that, uh, in fact, you can find your way here. And the gardens and the steam museum, which we work with quite closely, are nearby, um, but they're not visible from the road. So the best thing, I think, for anybody is, if they can, uh, and it's available, is to look at our website, which, um, just to make sure the right one is looked at, is the bressinghamgardens.com thebressinghamgardens.com and they'll see there you know um, the different parts of the gardens and also of course um, as you know from this evening we're, we're beginning to develop another business here which is um, the venue for weddings and uh, also for holiday lets at the hall um, and the old barn that's been redeveloped here is all part of a family thing too so that's going to help secure the business for the future we hope Ken Crowther for World Radio Gardening, speaking with Adrian Bloom from the family that have owned the Bressingham Gardens for many, many years. For more details, thebressinghamgardens.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast and visit our website regularly for the next update from World Radio Gardening.